Well, at one point, I think we heard almost like a spring pop type noise where um, you kind of like, we knew something was uh, was happening. Um, drove it a little bit more and then like you could really hear the noise. Uh, you could really hear it make a little bit more noise. And as like a passenger, I'm just there like, all right, adventure part, I don't know, maybe five of the trip. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Dave and Chewy in Houston podcast, where we're talking about everything from climbing to travel to fitness to crypto to anything that crosses our mind. So this past week, um, we were in Joe's Valley, Utah, rock climbing, specifically bouldering, and it was Chewy's first um, outdoor adventure experience, one of his first times camping. And um, we got to do and meet a lot of people along the way. So one of the um, speakers on this podcast is Julie Janice. She is a lifelong climber and um, and um, real uh, passionate about Joe's Valley and about access, about climbing. And so I'm really excited to be able to bring a message from her to your um, to your listening experience. Also, we have Shannon, um, one of the gentlemen that recently turned 66. He works at the Emory County Aquatic Center, where we um, where we climbers can go take a shower if we're camping out in the desert. He shares a little bit about the local. Um, history of how climbers and um, the people that have been li- living there for um, for ages um, got got their start where where that journey of climbers and locals has continued and just um, share some insights of his personal life accomplishments so thanks for tuning in um, this is kind of an action-packed um podcast vlog um one of the opening things that i want to want to hit you with is um a car failure on the way back home so let's get right into it and um i can't i can't wait to keep bringing y'all more stuff thanks okay imagine this you're pulling into a small town your wheel bearing just went out you're desperately looking on the phone for the nearest auto parts store and then you find it, the O'Reilly's 15 miles away. So I have Chewy by my side telling me, take it slow, man. There's no rush. And my brain telling me, oh, dude, if I keep it at 25 on this 65 for too much longer, I'm for sure getting pulled over. Mile by mile, minute by minute, we make it to our destination. Once we arrive there, we um, do everything humanly possible to try to fix it. And we're enlisting the help of the employees there. They're doing their best to get us back on the road. We're using tools that are so uh, meant for destruction, like the um, Sawzall, for such a fine task, like removing this, um, this nut that lost its thread. Anyhow, we're not successful, and we have to spend the night in the truck on the side of the road at the O'Reilly's in Kirtland, New Mexico. So here's a audio of what was going through our minds at that moment when it was time to lay our heads on the um, 
the softest thing around. Okay, man. So, the most unexpected, expected thing happened. The car broke down. That's the reality, man. I wish it could be different, but the good thing is that uh, I have tools and money, and uh, some way, somehow, it'll get resolved. Ideally, I do it in a way that, and ideally, I take Chewy into consideration too, man, because you're long for the ride. What are you thinking, man? Um, I mean, I just take things one step at a time, man. When it happened, the first thing I thought was, all right, I guess we need a mechanic shop. You told me you got the tools to fix it. And uh, that's what, you know, I Googled what kind of uh, auto stores around here. We found one. It wasn't too far. But uh, at the same time, it felt very far. Uh, we slowly closed that distance. And so, you know, one step was done. And then we was on to the next step, you know. We got to jack it up. Do this, do that. You know, relax when you can. Take a break when you can. And just, you know, take your time, but do it fast. I love it. I love it, man. Chewie, you're the perfect guy to have along um, in this situation. Um, yeah, you've been helping me a lot to uh, to not panic and to uh, not just blindly do something just because uh, out of desperation. Yeah, you man. know, you you were the one that was telling me, slow down, man, slow down. You know, because for whatever reason, I felt like I was distracted by the main objective was to get the car here undamaged. And so, uh, to a certain extent, the car is, uh, the damage is localized to the wheel that's gone bad. And so, ideally, we'll be able to uh, source the parts and repair it, you know, it went through my mind for a moment to, uh, try to drive the car, reassemble and drive the car to a hotel, but that did not seem like a, uh, a safe option at all. Once I got the, the tire put on, it was looser than when, uh, it first came off. So, There was a weird noise outside. Oh, I see. Someone's walking by. We're in the back of our, of my truck right now, camping out. And, uh, this is the first, well, the second time on this trip where we stay in the same space, Chewy. The first one was in the hostel. Yeah. And, uh, right now we're in the back of the camper. Um... We're going to try to get as comfortable as we can and uh, and sleep until it's time to wake up. 
stick it anything else, man? No, you know, just right now, sleep, and then when the sun rises, you know, hopefully we'll have a better idea of what of what to do. But uh, you know, the main thing is we don't, you know, panic. You know, don't try to get mad about the situation, cause it's like when it happened. You know, if we get mad at each other about it, we ain't gonna get out of here any faster. And the end of the day, we both have the same goal, which is to get home. So, uh, we try to do that as easily as possible. And, you know, just breathe. That's it. I think that this is really gonna be a true test of, uh, if we if, if if we can act out what we talk about um, and you know what I'm okay with uh, with failure being an option I suppose but I'm not gonna be that not gonna let that well, I don't know what you mean by that because the mission is to get home and I'm getting home there's no failing on that man I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> it ain't gonna be tonight. Or tomorrow, maybe. But uh, I'm definitely getting home. The, the failure is definitely not an option in this situation, man. <laughs> and you're right. So, I guess what I'm really trying to get at is that... Uh, is that it is going to work out. And that... Uh, we will just know the information that we know as things progress. So, that's it. We're going to go to sleep, and we will update in the morning. If you want to follow more of the story or get a visual, check out my YouTube channel, Dave Martinez. Just type in Houston Rock Climber, and a lot of uh, my videos should start popping up. Appreciate you. All right. Recording. All right. So in this next, this next little clip we have for you is... Um, we had a opportunity to record Julie Janice. Um, she's uh, uh, doing the van life out in Joe's Valley. Um, and she was kind enough to let us uh, record kind of on the spot. Um, not really too much um, information beforehand. And it was, I wish we could have got more of it because we probably chatted with her for like two, three hours, you know, th throughout the trip. And she's just so insightful. Um, and, you know, we also want to apologize for the audio of the clip, but we were out there doing it live. This was one that uh, Dave recorded off his phone. And during the recording, there was some phone calls that went off. You'll hear um, some, you could hear him kind of text messaging. But um, that's, I think, you know, really shows too what we're about is just trying to be as authentic as possible. And I feel like uh, Julie um, sensed that from us and made her more okay to allow us to record her. For sure. We appreciate your trust in us, Julie, and um, I hope that you feel heard and listened to and that this uh, message, um, you know, gets to the people that need to hear it most. So thank you. 
Um, also, um, off what Chewy was saying with the audio quality, so at the time, my buddy Chris was making plans with us to go meet at, Co uh, at Joe's Coffee um, in town. And so... Um, I think it might be Cup of Joe's. Cup of Joe's, right. Um, and so there was that going on in the background, you know, coordinating with this man um, and at the same time trying to stay engaged in the conversation. So um, towards the end, this is off camera, but when we do finally wrap up, we're, we're kind of rushing to get out of there. And um, Julie says, hey, isn't that some of y'all stuff still on the ground? And I thought that was a perfect opportunity to just show that, um, you know, one of the themes that gets talked about in the in the podcast or in this clip rather is that uh, just ethics and the culture of climbing. And so um, I think that she does a really good job of, um, from her experience, educating us as to you know don't litter and don't do this that and the other even though we consider ourselves good people in this situation we were um, we were preoccupied mentally um, somewhere else already before we left so we appreciate her taking the time and, and talking to us like people and um, and it didn't feel like we were just being shamed right which can which sometimes happen yeah. So um, have a listen. Julie's a great speaker, and uh, we can't wait to talk with her again in the future. Hopefully get some climbs in, too. The people that we've met along the way on this journey, and you're one of the most impactful ones. Um, Dave Martinez, I'm here with Chewy Martinez and um, Julie. I don't know if you'd like to share your last yeah, name. Yeah, Julie Janice. Julie Janice. And... Um, one of the things that I really wanted to um, to have you communicate is your message to get people outside. Um, yeah, so I've been very fortunate in my life that I grew up um, in an area where I kind of grew up more in a rural setting. I had access to the mountains. Um, my parents weren't particularly active people, but we would go up to the mountains all the time. They introduced me to skiing. They introduced me to just like the joy of being outside um, in a different way than maybe I experience now. And so I know I've been very lucky to have that experience. And then a lot of people don't have access to that. And I think that's something I'm starting to give more thought to is kind of something I take for granted because it's the culture I grew up in and it's it really is like one of the most important things to me of like that keeps me sane relatively sane is being able to get out into nature and either spend time alone or spend time with family so I think that's a really cool concept of like how do you start getting more people exposed to that um, and I you know you guys growing in living in the urban setting yeah, I know that's probably a, a key thing for you. It's like, how do you get people outdoors? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes it, it can be in, intimidating to begin the journey that has led up to um, arriving at a place. We're in Joe's Valley um, in Utah, and this location is um, known world worldwide as a bouldering um cultural hub of sorts um it's really cool seeing 
the engagement from both the community and the climbers. Um, there's been um, a lot of joint effort on both sides to, to bridge the gap of, of being able to coexist in um, not just uh, not just in a survival way, but like in a thriving because both of, of the peoples are, are together. Um, yeah, you just you just trigger a thought on me if I can. Please <laughs> take it away. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was telling you guys yesterday of I man, I started climbing 33 years ago when bouldering as a sport was you know bouldering was more just kind of like a training activity, and yeah. So it was a very different culture back then, and very smaller you know much smaller group of people that were engaged and so most people started climbing outdoors because there was only probably two gyms in the country or something like that at the time and so you always had a mentor like you always had somebody that had all these years of climbing experience that you learn from and now that climbing is really growing exponentially and you have all these gyms you have a lot of people that are just indoor climbers may never transition outside but there are some that really want to transition and I think that's one of the things we need to look at now is how does that model change? And that's what I've, I've talked about that with some of the people that have been climbing for decades you know, around here. And you can't have that one-to-one -one mentorship mm. anymore. And so, you know, it was a chance meeting of like, so worked at, a, I told you my history of like, I worked at a ski camp. Some of the coaches were climbers. That's how I got introduced to climbing. And like, now it is the most central thing in my life. Like, what if I had never been introduced to that? Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, would I have found something different? How would my life be? And so, like, how do you start getting people exposed to what climbing outside can be? And then how do you create that some, same sort of relationship, that one-on-one that -on -one mentorship? And I think that's something that we can do with going to gyms and be like – like the stuff you guys are doing, like just going back from this trip and like sharing your experience um, with a larger audience and some like maybe share with a hundred people and two people get psyched of like, I'm going to go outside. This is going to be cool. Oh, now how do I do it? And so if we're, one of the things I think we can do is like go to gyms and be like, Hey, this is like what the possibilities are out there. And when you get there, this is kind of the etiquette. Like these are things that you're not going to learn easily just from being there. But yeah. like, you know, like, oh, you know, here's some kind of like the unwritten rules of bouldering. Like you come out to a rock, somebody's there. Hey, ask to join them. It's it's polite. It's common courtesy. Um, and it's kind of the culture of bouldering. And maybe that's going to shift. And maybe it's different area to area. Um, but, I th but how are you going to know that if all you've ever experienced is climbing in the gym and you don't really have access to people that have been outside? So I think that's something that the climbing community can do is take people that have that experience can go back and start sharing that. Um, and then how do we do that on multiple media levels? You know, mm -hmm. can you do that in person? Do you do that on social media? Where do you go do it? Yeah. That's really insightful. I know that um, the mentorship that I received um, sometimes was, um, you know, it was difficult to get someone to take you under their wing in my case and um, anytime that I can um, make that easier for someone else, it brings me a lot of joy because it doesn't cost me anything. You know, I'm happy to do it. It's, uh, it's, it's a joy to, to see a, a beginner 
look at something and with fresh eyes and you relive it too in that sense. Um, Chewy, can you speak a little bit to your experience on this first trip? Yeah, um, I was, you know, just thinking after hearing Julie talk there, uh, how much, you know, how much this trip has really impacted me um, from, you know, the f very first day. Um, I was really nervous, really, really nervous. Um, the boulders that we went to seemed really tall really high um in the beginning it was just dave and myself uh so we only had two pads um and some of those tall ones seemed like i don't think i would want to do this um and when i hit my when i did my first top out when we were there i don't remember the name of the problem but i worked it a little bit and then came off of it kind of rusted we slid the pads over dave worked some stuff and then i went back to it again um and when i topped it out that uh that that first time i i could i mean i was just really excited really uh geeked really you, know, you feel really pumped proud of yourself um and then like you kind of let that momentum build to you know the next uh boulder you're going to do every time you go a little bit higher you're a little bit more comfortable um it helps if you have more pads around um because then sometimes you just feel like you got a good gym landing um where like yeah it is still dangerous a pad could slip things could happen just like in a gym things could happen you could take a bad fall the wrong way but you got to trust your spotters you got to trust the you know where you're putting the pads the people who are who have brought you out and how they set up the pads because they've seen more falls they've you know but in the end of the day you still have to be uh, very comfortable and like you make the final decision on the pad because if you fall you're the one that's facing those those risks those um actually like a lot of climbing is a lot of risk management mm -hmm. while you're out here um i really enjoyed the teamwork that even though climbing is a individual sport but the teamwork of, you know, trusting your spotters, um, the teamwork of just like the little things that everyone does for each other to kind of make sure they hit their goals. So we came on this trip with people. We came on this trip with people who like really planned this out. And I kind of just more jumped in it and was like along for the ride. So I really didn't have uh, much, you know, expectations of what I wanted to do. And then like I'm hanging around these other people that like, got i mean they've been looking at these routes looking at beta for them for you know maybe months or or some time leading up to it and then to see you know you get to share that joy with them when they hit something that they have been striving for for a while um and it's just very it's very powerful it's very um like i said that sense of teamwork in a individual sport is really there yeah, no, and that's like so much of what you said rang true to me, which is just so like I can totally relate to the things you're saying and like you're kind of just getting introduced to outdoor climbing and I've been doing it for, you know, pro I'm guessing longer than you've been alive. And so, <laughs> um, but it's interesting of like I can relate to the same experiences and I'm still learning some of those lessons and like the, like one of the key things you said is risk management and I think something people don't think about is ultimately, even if you're a new climber, new to the situation, 
you got to be aware of what's the risk level, what are the consequences, and you are ultimately accountable, especially in bouldering. And so I see so many people that like, you see a big group walk up, maybe multiple groups converge on a boulder, they throw down a bunch of pads, and people start climbing. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of trust a lot of times of like, okay, well, these people have been climbing longer than me. They know what they're doing. And that's something that I started looking at of like, I will walk up to a boulder. I'll look at it, the pad placement. And if I'm not comfortable with it, I'll be like, you know, and you be respectful of like, hey, do you guys mind if I rearrange the pads or I'll wait till you guys are done because I'm not comfortable with the setting. Um, So I've definitely walked away from boulders when I've walked up and I'm like, you know what? The vibe here, the pad placement, it's not going to work for me. Yeah. It's cool. Like, we all have different risk levels that we're willing to accept. And, you know, that changes over time. And so that's been something that's been really good for me is accepting that. Um, because the consequences can be pretty high. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you know, I, <laughs> I uh, some of them are within your control. Like, I, last fall, work in a pretty short boulder. Not, a, not that tall at all. My friends came up threw the pads down. I was like, Ooh, no, I think my fall zone's over here. Like I know where I'm going to fall on this thing. Move the pad, tried the move, felt really great. Um, almost sent it till I came off, landed on the edge of the pad, right where I had moved it, <laughs> rolled my ankle and I was out for, you know, a month or two. And that was one of those of like, okay, first of all, nobody blamed but myself because if I had just left the pads where they were, I would have been fine, (laughs) but it was a good lesson for me of like, okay, I thought this was my fall zone. I moved the pad. I tried to take each thing as a learning opportunity of like, what would I have done differently? And in that case, it was like, oh, you know, I had moved the top pad somewhere. And so there was this roll and we kind of had like two levels of pads that doesn't work for me. Like I very rarely use kind of a topper pad now because I'm like, yeah, I might fall. You might fall where you're not expecting it, Mm -hmm. or you might not quite have the fall, where you're going to land right in your mind. And so like now I think about of like, okay, I make sure I've got a fully flat surface. Um, but like other times it's more of I'll walk up on a boulder and like, okay, these pads are not where I think they should be. And I will definitely take the time to rearrange them. And you've got to be comfortable before you go up the rock. And then that helps you perform better. Like you're saying, like yeah. the more confidence you have, the more trust you have in the people that you're with really can improve your, your climbing outside. And, and then that sense of uh, encouragement you get um, when you're on the wall, you feel like you might be coming off and you get a, you know, that, you know, we got you, go for it. That little encouragement that like, you know, maybe if all those positive vibes weren't there pushing you, um, you might not have gotten it. Like, and for some routes, it feels like when you link a move or you complete the, the whole thing, it's like, um, one less person there not encouraging me i might not have got it there's so many times like even since i've met you guys this week there's so many times where just the the right level of encouragement like the first boulder we were all at like i had this whole group blow me encouraging me to do this jump move that was not a move i would ever consider doing but the the energy was so good the pads were perfect, just a flat landing. It's like, okay, wrist level is pretty low here. And I had so much psych below me, yeah. like so much psych. And, and I knew, like, and I knew it was going to take me some time to do it. 
and I'm comfortable enough with the people that were there. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I might be up on this rock five minutes, standing on this ledge, getting ready to do this jump move. And I don't know if I can hit it or not, but that's when I start thinking of like, no, I need to tell myself I'm going to hit it. So like some of this is like a mental game too. Yeah. But just knowing that I had the support of people below me and like that they were willing to wait for me and that they were psyched to see me try it, whether I made it or not, goes a long way. And then like, yeah, the encouragement and that everybody was giving me. Um, and so I did this, Jimmy, you guys were there, like did this two hand jump move and like caught it with one hand. And I'm like, oh, I'm still here. And I, like if I had not had those people there, never would have done that problem. Um, and even like last night climbing with my friend Kyle, um, was working out moves on a project and you know some people just seem to say the right thing at the right time and just like you got this or go big you know whatever it is that you need to hear like some people just tell you the right thing and then what I'm working on too is that internal voice of telling myself you can do it but um one thing I would say like kind of as the since kind of the theme we're talking about here like how to get people introduced to the outdoors and this applies in life in general, too, with some of like the work things we were talking about. Of You also got to understand not everybody's motivated the same way. Not everybody operates the same way. So I do it, which is easy to forget. Like you get out there, you're like, oh, man, go for it. Yes, you got this. Some people like quiet when they climb. And like being aware of that and kind of like a great thing is like if you're coming up on a group of climbers and you don't really know their style, like that is – I'm not the best practicer of this, so this is a good reminder for me of, like, kind of check in with somebody before they go of, like, hey, do you like noise? Do you like encouragement? Because some people don't. And that's easy for us to forget if we thrive on that. So I think that's a great thing to keep in mind, too, of kind of just communication is key, right, Mm -hmm. in life and in bouldering. And you walk up on a group, like, hey, is is it okay if we climb with you? I'm so-and-so. Like, you know, get introduced, get the feel and the vibe, get a feel of what they like, and then... Mm -hmm your own experience becomes so much better. Because I've had, you know, how long I've been bouldering. So since 2006 was kind of like, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. 2006 is kind of when I switched full-time over to bouldering, but like I started before that. And every time I go up to boulder, if somebody else is there, like, hey, do you guys mind if we join you? Nobody's ever told me no. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they did, be like, sweet, there's plenty other boulders here. Mm -hmm. I'll go find, I'll go find another one. It's just kind of common courtesy and for sure you know and then you get to meet these great people mm-hmm. that you maybe would um another thing i would want to highlight and the sense of like when you're coming out uh and as a new person um because like on with the one that you had tapped out on uh tall boulder and then the down climb <laughs> was it, uh, it it looked like work in itself um, you, you know, really had to kind of be comfortable with it. And, uh, so when I was, I tried that one a couple of times and, uh, I actually liked the movement of it. I felt pretty good with it. If it was a shorter boulder, I probably would have felt more comfortable trying to go for it. Um, if there was a better, um, down climb situation or if I was more experienced, yeah. but I think it's very important to, you know, pay attention and look at. Um, how are you going to get down once you get up? Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Chewie. And I will say like, you kind of talked about like you didn't, you came out here without like kind of a real plan. You were with these more experienced people and sometimes you do tend to defer to them. And I did that for many years of like, 
kind of took a back seat at times of like, okay, I'm with these more experienced people. They're not going to put me on something that I can't get down. And that was a good lesson for me was like, no, you know, I, I again, back to accountability of like, like, this is my experience. I have my own risk levels and I, I've got to be proactive. And so, and it is easy to forget sometimes of like, how do I get down off of this thing? And there's been so many boulders I've been on the top on them. You get up there and you're like, oh, where do where where do I go? Um, and so I do try to do a better job of like before I start up something like where am I coming down? Um, you know, and you can rely on your friends somewhat when you you've got them there. But I think it is that's a good lesson for people is really have that full plan because we all know climbing down is harder than climbing up sometimes. Yeah. And if you haven't prepped it out and it might keep you from doing. It. There's definitely some boulders that I will not top out because the down climb is higher risk level than I want to accept. Um, and you better scope that out before you get up on the top of a boulder. <laughs> I, I was jokingly saying when we were out here, you know, the fire department will figure out how to come over here and get me a ladder. Because uh, if I get to the top of something and I'll, I can stay up here for a while, I'll, you know, toss me some food up, toss me a water, you know. Um, if it takes them a day, to, a day, two days to figure it out, I'll definitely just chill up here for the for no, that I've, day or two. I've definitely popped out a boulder and been like, nope, I'm just moving up here, guys. Like, I am not coming down. And that's where, like, there's some boulders of, like, you don't want to do them on your own because yeah. you do want some support on the down climb and communicate to that to your partners. Find people that have that stoke and have that sense of community and are supportive. Because there's, there's some people you'll meet that'll be like, you got up there, you figure out how to get down. Not not many that I've met, nobody that I would probably climb with, but you want to surround yourself with people that have the support level you need, you know, that are like psyched for you to be on your project and want to help you, like want to make the experience good for you. Because I've been very fortunate in my climbing experience, like some of the guys I started climbing with that I was telling you guys about, you know, super strong climbers, climbing double digits back when I was, you know, I've been climbing ropes for ages, but then I switched over to bouldering. And so I was like, V2, V3 was like super hard and like took everything I had to figure it out because didn't have the bouldering movements, didn't quite have it down. And these guys that were climbing V10s, V11s and had a ton of psych for each other were super focused on their projects. When I started climbing my V2, they moved all their attention there. They got their pads on it, their brush and holds for me. And the psych was so high and they genuinely were so psyched to see me top out a v2 you know just as psyched as they were to see their friend top out a v11 and that they'd been working and that's i think it's cool to surround yourself with people like that um and that's i don't know that's one of the reasons maybe after 33 years of climbing i still love it is because like watching chewy top out on something or watching dave top out on something or even work something and be stoked on it just to see the stoke reminds me how like one of the reasons i love this sport so much and it's not even like this lifestyle right yeah and then when you have people um working beta together trying things out even like you know when uh last night we were climbing i was uh climbing on i don't can't, i don't know what it was um but i was you know we were getting stuck on it it was nice to have someone kind of do some of the movement with me yeah. um and you could tell like very supportive um, like they want to see you get it as much, almost as much as you want to get it. Um, and it's nice when, you know, it kind of comes around full circle. Everyone takes their turns, takes uh, their time with each movement or, or each boulder. And then 
uh, it's just a a great experience. Yeah. That sometimes maybe like if you're working on something together with with some people, once that first person gets it, and then it's almost like you you see it, (laughs) and it immediately becomes more doable. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, next another person gets it, and and another person gets it when you know you had maybe three four people projecting the same thing, and then you you see that uh momentum shift. Yeah, for sure. And like you just made me think too of like we're talking about like this great community and this great sense you can ha- like just the great feelings you get when you're climbing with a group. But I will say to people too of like I probably spend half my time out bouldering on my own too, and I'm pretty social person now, but I also like my time alone and part of what I get out of this experience is being able to be out in nature doing something physical, but also maybe just like sitting out on my own and letting myself actually think through some of my thoughts and feel some of my emotions, or even just like, I want to be laser focused on what I'm working on. And I, that can be intimidating when you first go out. Um, cause I love bouldering on my own too. I love bouldering in a group. I love bouldering like with one person. I love bouldering on my own. And I remember when I first started bouldering, like I went out, I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, I'm by myself. I'm lonely. I don't have anybody to support me. Like, how is this fun? Well, how do people do this? And now it's one of my favorite things to do. And I think some of that is um, just being, you know, being confident in your own abilities. And so if you're kind of new to it, you go to an easier bowl. Like, maybe I'm just going to go out and do V-Zeros all day by myself because that's all I feel comfortable with. And I can have a great day even now just doing that but I think I think people can be a little intimidated by doing that a little scared of like well what if I don't know what to do and what if I don't know how to handle the situation that's how you push yourself and kind of surprise yourself um and and it's not for everybody like you got to figure out what works for you but I would encourage people to think about that as well if you don't have to think of is this something I can just do when my friends and my buddies are around and like I've got somebody to go with like you can go out on a trip on your own and like you meet all these great people. So I live in my van. I'm, you know, by myself in the van and I do seek out climbing areas. And and really I've pretty much just been staying at Joe's most of this last year. But, um, that's one of the cool things is you're never really alone at a climbing area unless you want to be. Um, and you meet like just meeting you guys this week has been amazing. And I likewise, (laughs) thank you. Um, and I couldn't even tell you the number of amazing people I've met being on the road this last year and being here in shows. And, like, you meet these people like, okay, maybe I just met them for a day and we had an awesome day together. I'll never see them again. You meet people that are going to be friends for life. And you meet people from all over the world. And then you run into them all over the world, which is crazy <laughs> how small the outdoor climbing community is like you know i might be at some other area five years from now and i'll be like oh my god is that chewy over there <laughs> is that dave oh my god i haven't seen you guys in so long That's right. or maybe we're talking every day because we've like struck up a lifelong friendship and you're right. still like super you know that they're gonna be there mm-hmm. and so like those are the things about bouldering like that it's so much beyond just for me being on the rock and what grade did I climb today? Yeah. It's the connections you make with people that make it such an amazing thing. And that's kind of back to your earlier point of like, how do we get more people exposed to that? Like, I think that's where it becomes like, yeah, that's something that I want to do because I will say a lot of people have been climbing a long time. This is human nature. Yeah. It's like, Oh God, climb is exploding. It's in the Olympics. There's going to be all these people out there. Oh God, Joe's is going to get so crowded. I don't want these people here. 
And that's kind of a natural mindset. And I try to think of it differently of climbing is exploding. It's only going to get bigger. It's a cool sport. It, it's gotten me through some really hard times in my life and it's brought me some really great joy. So I try to look at it as, why wouldn't I want to share that with other people? Like if somebody else could experience what I got out of climbing and it helped them through something in their life or just gave them a moment of joy, like why wouldn't I want to encourage that? So I kind of accept that climbing's going to grow. It's not this niche little tiny sport anymore where I'm going to have the crag to myself every day. So how do I help that? And in Joe's in particular, like one of the things is there's so many boulders here. People tend to go to the classics. And so part of that is like, how do you spread people out? We got plenty of rocks here. Mm-hmm. Let's disperse. So like, let's keep, get people aware of like where these really cool boulders are. Let's let's see, like, let's get people developing new areas. Let's make the access to them better. And that's one of the things I share with you guys of we have the Joe's Valley Festival here every year, which is really cool. Um concept where you're bringing together the intent is to bring together the local community and the climbers and get some mutual understanding of each other celebrate our love of the outdoors which we celebrate in different ways and part of that is giving back to the climbing and the local community with a stewardship day and that's what I've been engaged in we launched an advocacy group under that nonprofit this year where we want to do that year round of like, we're going out, we're doing trail building and landings building and working with the land management partners, but also working with the community of like, how do we get some visibility of like, Hey, like climbers are here and they want to be involved in like helping in volunteer projects in town. And then we all get to meet the different people. And so that's something that I'm really stoked on. And that like, because I am kind of climbing full time, I am climbing full time now. And I have all the time in the world. Like, how do I give back to the climbing community but also the community that i'm living in here so that's been super cool to be part of i love it i love it julie thanks for sharing a little bit about um the culture here um your insights into your own climbing adventure and um your willingness to share with others we appreciate you so much no thank you so much it's been amazing to meet both you dave and chewy and i can't wait till we meet again on another boulder or just virtually but this has been a great week getting to know you guys. So thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. We appreciate you. Thank you. So this, this next clip we have for you is uh, an interview we did with Shannon, who works over at the Emory County Aquatic Center. Um, the interview, I, I guess I should probably preference, has nothing to do with the center itself, more so um, we appreciated talking with him. We probably chatted with him for like a solid two hours. We only recorded about 30 minutes or so. Um, and if you're ever in the Joe's Valley area, check them out. It's a, if you're camping out there, it's a good place to get a shower in, stay nice and clean. Uh, and like the main reason why I wanted to interview him was first, he just seemed like a man with a wealth of knowledge, which uh, I believe. Uh, you're gonna be able to tell from the interview and the other reason was uh, and he speaks to it in the interview of at one point when he was dumber and by that he more I believe he more means um, how his view of climbers changed from maybe being like in the beginning he thought of them as more dirty bummy kind of people and then over time, uh, over I think it's 20 years there, that 
really changed to like climbers are good-hearted people which is a big uh, part of the reason why I enjoy the climbing community um, besides the climbing and the great benefits of exercising but I, I feel like climbers are just very good-hearted people you know I really appreciated uh, hearing Shannon talk and and just peel away the layers of how integrated he is into his community he talks about you know the events and the projects that he is really pushed forward and now that um, you know reaching the tail end of, of his career looking back it, it's really cool to to see the impact that has been made from all those efforts and uh, we appreciate you also Ariana that was working yeah. behind the desk we appreciate you too um, for just taking the time and being super kind to us you know they even told us like if you know we're out if we're out there and we get in a little bit of a pickle please reach out to them because um, you know local people know the local ins and out and how you know if we call probably triple a we're going to be waiting forever and they might be able to help us out a little bit faster so it just kind of shows like the joe's valley community that emory county is just um seems like a very welcoming welcoming place um while we were there the whole time like we felt um like we were really kind of welcomed when we were at the uh gas station grocery store do you remember the what it's called ranch. the food ranch uh there was one point where i was looking for a spatula so we could flip pancakes for breakfast um and they didn't have it there but they were even willing like to like tell us we could go to their competitor and they still wanted to make sure that we were taken care of as people mm -hmm. and i really appreciated that for sure i felt everybody had time to to take to really do phenomenal service man all the service people were really really kind to us and uh, i applaud them so uh take a listen i think we'll all get a lot out of re-listening to shannon's uh um interview i loved it uh recording myself on um things like listening to myself um like i'm very like camera shy uh, so like after like the first episode we recorded, he uploaded it in same night and I tried to listen to it at night right when he recorded it. I'm like, it was like cringy almost. Um, and I couldn't do it. And, but like I forced myself to do it cause I think it's gonna make me better. But then our friends, they, they were telling us, man, we felt like we were right there with you. And it was just a conversation that was yeah. engaging, just just the way that we were right now. Well, this is my Southern. Mm -hmm. And this is your Southern. Because mm -hmm. Southern people are really are friendly. It's mm -hmm. no different here, except once they get to know you, they're cliquish. Yeah. Oh, once everywhere. They get to, what they get to know you, but in the South, North Carolina, you, you go to North Carolina and it's like, you show up, they're gonna talk to you. You move in next door, they're gonna bring food over. Yeah. But anyway, so I moved here in 92. And some people, the postmaster being one, will tell you when I moved here, there was nothing to do around here. I don't even know how I got to this point. I just needed a job, and I did. Mm -hmm. I've worked in recreation, 
not as a job, but in raising my kids. Got here, they didn't have a lot. So I got a recreation job. I was the first recreation director in this county. I started a pro rodeo, PRCA wow. rodeo. Wow. Had no experience. Zero. Did 14 of them. Wow. The only reason it's not here now is because the people that followed me wouldn't do the work. Not bragging, it's just the way it is. <laughs> 2005, they gave me the county fair. I started a concert, outdoor concert. I did 15 of them. Wow. Would have had one last year except for COVID. Mm -hmm. We didn't do one this year. But they just couldn't take the risk and even do a county fair. But I've done 15 of them. And so it took nine years to get this place built. I was a rec director, and the boss come and said, hey, I want you to go look at a swim, new swimming pool over the mountain and tell me how they did it. So I went and did it. And nine years later, this was... And I didn't transfer here, but for your sake, I'll call it I transferred here. Mm -hmm. I had to apply for the job, same thing. I uh, left the ready department and they dissed my full time because I'm old. Oh, is today your birthday? No, Friday. Yeah. Yes, oh, happy late birthday. I, you're good. But I turned 66 Friday. And so uh, I can't do now what I did then, like with the rodeo and the fair. Because I used to have the rodeo, the fair, and all this right together. And over a two week period, it was like crazy. But anyway, so I've done a lot of things that I started from the ground up. Now I have a hundred friends that I call on say, I need you to help me. Don't matter, they come do it, whatever. We do special needs, it's near and dear to me and her both, which is special needs kids. Her mom works at a school, uh, drives her bus and different things. So anyway, but it's been near and dear to me for a lot. We used to do it at the wreck and it went away. When I left down there, it went away too. Sad but true. But I told the bosses, they're always asking me about stuff. I built the rec center. I was one of three that built this. I was probably the third, third on the ladder. There was two more that was more important than me on building this place. Uh, but we, you know, we had a vision, we got it done. Started a pro rodeo, because boss told me to. Uh, concert was totally my idea. But I told him, tell me if this makes sense. Right out there, now we use this kind of soccer field, but right out there on the other side of that fence that you can see right there, we should build a climbing center. Climbing centers are huge. That would be cool. There's up in Salt Lake, and there's tons over there, because all them people come over here from Boulder, or you know, Denver and Boulder, like tons of climbing schools or whatever you want to call them. And I said, they asked me, what can we do? I said, we'll build a climbing center right there. Okay. I used to say Tramp Park Climbing Center combo, mm -hmm. but I don't know about it. I don't know about the trampoline park. They were really popular, but there's so many injuries, I don't know if that's a good idea but a climbing center and with a couple more things in there. I'd put a golf simulator in there. There's kind of things that don't take up a lot of room. And, but 
that's what I think about climbing. But they haven't done it. They just could be time. easy. It'd be perfect. Guess what? Not all climbers, but there's a lot of climbers that climb and then they want part-time jobs. I've met yeah. lots of climbers. They'll work a while, they'll climb a while. They work a while, they climb a while. Like I know over at, uh, what is it, Red River Gorge? Red River right? Gorge. Something like that. Um, a lot of the people that work at Miguel's Pizza mm -hmm. are like, they're all like borderline full-time climbers, but yeah. mainly... Uh, I, I know lots of there. climbers that live in a van and pretty much year-round. Mm -hmm. The one, I can't remember her name. I remember Lily Cornette was the one that taught me probably the most about climbing when I was the dumbest. Uh, used to come here every year from over around Denver and Boulder. Um, but there's another girl, and I can't remember her name, and she said she'd make about $9,000 a year bartending in the summer, and she could live off that for the year. She, she climbed. She made enough money. She lived in her van and different things, you know, like that. Uh, but anyway, I said, we could have a built-in part-time work staff. What's better than to have some climbers come and, you know, I think it would be awesome. But sure. They never did, you know, it just never got any footing. I never understood why, because there used to be a sign at Food Ranch. Remember, Food Ranch was owned by the same man, founded and owned by Drew for 35 years. He sold it to a guy. That guy kind of bankrupted it, you know, closed. It was closed two, three years. Yeah. And it's been open, what, a year and a half now, maybe? Year, year and a half? Yeah. It's been reopened because it sat closed for two, three years. But when Drew had it, the original, he loved climbers just like we do. So he let me put, I put a, a, an aluminum, last forever sign four by eight on the food ranch you, i bet you go there and still see the drill holes <laughs> i don't know why they took it down whoever took it down and it said welcome to joe's bouldering capital of the world oh wow i googled it because these people around here our travel bureau and all these they, they're trying to you know our identity now is the swell that's called the san rafael swell desert out there three miles right out there and so our brand is the swell. And so they try to get some people come here and boulder and fest, you know, different things to help our community. I said, look, I Googled it. Ain't nobody claiming boulder and capital world. There ain't a soul on there that was claiming it. So claim it. You know, mm -hmm. that's how you start. You know, people Google things and mm -hmm. it's how we get anywhere, right? Definitely. And so... I said, so I built a sign. It said, "Welcome to Joe's." See, I use I call it Joe's Valley. Uh -huh. Climbers call it Joe's. Mm -hmm. So I learned that. I said, "Welcome to Joe's, bouldering capital of the world." And then, at the bottom, that was the big part, you know, up here. And I had some other things, some graphics and things. And then at the bottom, I had American Aquatic Center, you know, and had the prices like for showers, our phone number, our location, and you know, because people said. Well, at one time, climbers didn't know how to navigate to here. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was word of mouth, but now it's y'all's community is it's like, y'all do amazing things <laughs> with that phone. And mm -hmm. I see them sell bands. You ever heard that one? 
I was I interviewed a couple and their project for right now is they're creating a van for themselves yeah. and then they plan on renting it out through one of these phone okay. applications to people that want to so I've seen uh, a couple flew in to I want to say Seattle but they had to go the guy delivered them the van from like California Northern California so it was a van set up, you know, to live in. Mm -hmm. They had to buy it from him. Then they traveled six months, nine months, whatever their visa allowed, you know, travel in the United States climbing, and then go back to there, and they, they got bought it back from them. So it's like renting, but you know what I'm saying? But I've seen a lot. I've seen cars. We've seen cars. There's a network of some kind. Climbers come from out of country, buy a car, and then they sell it to the next one before, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. I see, I don't understand it all, but that's pretty amazing to me that they, you know, uh, do you, let's see, I'm gonna try this. Um, Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in this community, we had some, I'm gonna call them blighted homes. Mm -hmm. They were a little rundown rentals that just, you know, they just- Needed a lot of love. They needed some love. We have climbers that's bought them, renovated them, and now they're Airbnbs. One's beside the post office. Do you ever, have you been to the post office? Not yet. Okay, so I'm saying maybe that could be part of your story, mm -hmm. I would guess. If you go down this center street right here, the main road right here, goes by the high school down the main street, cross main street, and right there on the right is the post office, second building back. Mm -hmm. So right next to the post office is a Airbnb that Climbers bought and it's named Boulder, bouldering house, H-A-U-S, instead mm. of, okay? Like German. Like German. And it's a left fork and a right fork. So you look there. So Joe's has a left fork and a right fork. See, I had to learn that. We called it, we called it Trail Mountain yeah. and Straight Canyon. <laughs> so I had to learn. Um, so the one part, you see signs, this is left fork. And that's where the left fork park. It says left fork parking. Because they took the house and made two like apartment like things. It's a big place, so they it's got it's nice. And then the back is the right fork parking. So there's two things, Airbnbs in the one house. And fixed it up, made it nice, and oh it's it stays busy. Mm -hmm. It stays busy. Diagonally across from it. There's, you can see this old house has been renovated, very nice. It's a house that's 100 years old. I'm just taking a guess. Climbers bought that one, and it's been renovated. I assume it's an Airbnb, but they might be living. I don't know that in store as well. Um, so, and there's more than that. That's just what I know. They bought some other properties around. I think there's some up in Orangeville where I live, but um, that's cool. 
Is there, it's, it's good, we don't have enough. Our motels are kind of, right? So it's good to have these things in this network. And um, it's helpful to our community. They took houses and made them, made them nice. And, you know, it's, it's good for our property tax and whatever, you know, made it a useful it was right beside a post office. You know, it's like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that nice. Mm -hmm. um, and it looks the part now. Mm -hmm. It's still not, you know, it looks rustic, but it's nice what they did to remodel. You can see it on Airbnb, like inside and stuff. That's all I've ever done. But, um, that's my climbing. It's like climbers are awesome. Um, the way they navigate. That's what's amazing to me, how you navigate. I wish I understood it all, knew it all, but I'm, there's what, DPM climbing? What does this mean? Dead point something. Okay. I can't even remember what the M is, but it's DPM climbing. Lily Cornette taught me about that. And people, I asked the people from Australia, how did you get here? Hmm. Is there any more remote place almost in this country than Emory County, Utah? It's 90 miles across and 10,000 people. We didn't have a stoplight till Huntington messed that up in the whole county. <laughs> <laughs> Twice lately I've had to stop and there wasn't no car. And that's like, it used to be like that. I don't know what's going on over there, but it's like. You know, but that's how remote we are. And they said, well, on the internet. I'm like, yeah, you're all over the internet, videos. I'm like, we are? This is a lot of years ago. This is 12 years ago. Honestly, I know. I found this in the lot, in one of the lockers. Um, someone may come back for it, maybe not, but. Open the drawer, show him our collection. The lost I don't found. think this is real. Found in the parking lot, 723. I don't think it's a real diamond, just my gut. Uh -huh. But it was found out there. Like, we, it's we, we, get, we get, we get, every once in a while we get something back to somebody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We, it stays there until we no longer can tolerate it, you know. <laughs> wedding rings, they've been left here. They've been lost in that pool. Our one of our employees lost a diamond out of the in that pool. Oh, no. We never figured out how to. We tried, but we didn't recover. But anyway, um, thank you though. We'll put it there, and if someone asks, we we have all kinds of jewelry. Um, What's the longest thing something has stayed in this lost and found and made its way back to when the owner came back for it? If you, I don't know. I don't think very long. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I don't think very long because usually if they lose something, the best story ever had a party real quick, had a party in the party room. We have a little party room for birthday parties down there. They had a party. Girl calls me about, they had a party like on Monday. She calls me like on Wednesday. Tuesday. No, they had it like on the weekend or something. She calls me like on Monday or Tuesday. Says somebody stole money from me. 
I had money in my, my wallet and things was like in there and somebody stole it. I'm like, she said, I had a lot of money in there. So we have some cameras. We have cameras in all in here. We have cameras part of the room. There's cameras on the outdoor pool. There's not camera on this pool except our swim team. We broadcast the swim team meets. Oh, wow. So we have a cameras up there, the scoreboard and things we turn on just for meets. Um, but so I checked the cameras and the cameras are motion activated. So they do stop and start, you know, and also you don't fill up your, your drives and things. And so I looked through it and I'm like, I can see, tells me where the stuff was sitting. And I said, I can see it there. And then I can see it disappear, but I don't see who made it disappear. I just know it left. Mm -hmm. I said, the only one, there's this person that I know her, but I don't know her. To me, she's kind of a little bit special needs. And I said, people had thinned out and it was still sitting there. And said, she's the only one I don't know that just looks like she was kind of over in that area. Like, so she comes and looks at my video and she says, oh, that's my sister, said she, but she didn't say that, you know. Well, I'm sorry, I don't know. And she says, what happened to the garbage that was in the dumpster? And it was a Wednesday, mm -hmm. huh? Dumpster gets emptied on Thursday. Now, she waited a couple, few days, right? Yeah. It was, if she waited one more day, it was over. Mm-hmm. So you went and climbed in, didn't you? Wow. She went and climbed in the bag and found the lady's wallet in the, in the garbage. Somehow, somebody scooped it with something, threw it in the garbage. It was in a, tied up and out there in the dumpster. She climbed in and they come back in and she was the happiest lady. She, I saw her open the wallet. You saw it. Mm -hmm. like, all I know, it was a lot of $100 bills in there. Mm -hmm. ID, music. Okay. I, I don't know how many, but. She was just ecstatic. It was five or six hundred or life or yeah. a thousand or something, but there was quite a few I saw. She kind of just said, Look, I got it. Is it all there? Yeah, it's there. It's like and so yeah, different things like that. But the longest to give something back to somebody, I don't know. There's been people call and say, Hey, I left my suit in the ringer. We put it away for them, they never come back. So I mm -hmm. know. <laughs> so, swimsuits are expensive. Yeah. But um, if you ever come back, you should explore the land of a thousand miles. For sure. And look at their maps. There's petroglyphs. There's some crazy, amazing stuff in our desert. So if you like a hike, you can do that in the desert mountain bike and see it out there. Uh, I just don't mountain bike. I hunt fish. That's awesome. I play poker. Play golf. You know, that's what I do. Uh, How long have you been uh, hunting for? Since I was five. My dad let me go at five and it was like on dove hunt, you know, little small not the deer hunts, or, but 
and I get to carry it. I, I still have it. It's a little 22 rifle. It's like about that long. Today they make a cricket that's similar to it, but my dad's first gun. And I used to get to carry it, but I, it, it, I, it was small enough that I could, even at five or six. I remember shooting a snake. He let me shoot a snake. That's the first thing I ever shot. But I always hunted. My kids hunt. My grandkids hunt. You know, it's just fish. My brother, my brother fished for a living. I show you my pride. It's one of my prides. He tells me I'm because I did concerts and things. But my brother, uh, Marlin fished in the ocean and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Fished tournaments. Um, my brother's five years older than me. So I don't know how he did it all the years. He retired now, just barely. Doesn't do it no more. But he did it way past the length of everybody else. While you're going through uh, searching for that, um, what's there to, like if someone wanted to come out and they were hunters, climbers, fishers, what's the, what's there to hunt around here and what kind of fish do you catch? Oh, well, the predominant fish is trout, but there's several kinds of trout. Okay. Tiger trout, rainbow trout, brook trout, but around here, rainbows, tigers, tigers probably becoming one of the most uh, splake muskies in Joe's Valley, big tiger muskies. They put them in there to control the other fish. Mm. Um, hunting is everything. I mean, this is mecca of hunting. I'm going to show you this, and I'll show you. I'll, you'll understand the hunting. I always miss certain parts of North Carolina. I miss, I have a daughter, three grandkids, and a brother that are more in city at the coast. Mm -hmm. So, and then I have my son here. I live next door to the two grandkids here. Um, but if I hadn't come west, I always say I'd still be married. If I hadn't come west, back to her home, but I'm good. She's good, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But if I hadn't come west, there's a lot I'd have missed. I'm going to show you and answer your question at the same time. Cool. This is my brother. He, it's a big tournament that just happened. It happens in June. Um, and it's called Big Rock Marlin Tournament. It's in Moorhead City. And it's huge, millions of dollars on the line. And on, let's see. June 12, 2017, runoff caught a 533.8 pound marlin. Wow, it's massive. This is, my, this is my brother. And that's my brother's actual lure. It has his name on that lure. It's not a very good picture, because remember, I'm picturing of a picture mm -hmm. of different things. But that's my brother. My brother has an actual fishing lure that is used as a teaser for marlin that he invented, schemed, 
with a company to make you try it and it didn't work just right and they'd have to remodify it till they got the thing it's called viper sniper Dude. anyway this marlin was caught behind that teaser this is what it try to show you this is it hanging okay there's still my brother over here this is the man that actually cranked it in and look at this check this is what it won instantly 46 dollars. it won that instantly wow the reason it won it instantly was it was the first in this tournament they have a category it's called fabulous fisherman five and it's a winner take all first marlin caught in the tournament over 500 pounds so they caught it on monday tournament open and like an hour after the tournament started they had it hooked took an hour 45 minutes to get on the boat get back to the scales they were first so they won that instantly we sweated all week i was actually in vegas at the world series of poker by the time it ended and it held up it held up to win the entire tournament so it swept all five of the marlin categories level one two three four and five. First time it ever been done something similar has been done since and their record of dollars actually broke but this is what the fish won for the total for the whole thing that includes wow. the four hundred and sixty three thousand that's my brother on the left, the blonde-headed guy. That's a happy man right there. One point one six million at one. That's a nice, uh, a nice payday. That's a nice payday. <laughs> uh, I didn't know uh, fishing tournaments were like you could make that much off of a tournament like that. The, my brother would fish that with his boat, but then he would contract it out for other tournaments. The level of competition must be intense. Oh, it's crazy. These are rich, rich millionaires, you know, type deal. Uh, it's crazy. I'm gonna give you, if I can find it, look at this. This is White Marlin Open, this just happened. I still follow this stuff because my brother. My brother used to fish world's largest and richest billfish tournament. There you go, an 85.5 pound white marlin. Remember, white marlin pays more than blue marlin in this tournament. Mm -hmm. It paid 3.2 million. That's that just amazing. Happened. That was just about three weeks ago. This uh, this right here is the blue marlin. Is a buddy of my brother was in first place. Did I skip it? Oh no, that's the Mid Atlantic. Buddy of my brother caught a 900 and some pound blue marlin. In the next week or two weeks after that one, and go to the cross the bay to Ocean City, Maryland, from Ocean City, Maryland to Cape May, New Jersey. And it's a Mid Atlantic 500, they call it. And his buddy caught one 500, 900 and some pounds. Broke the tournament record, 30 some years or whatever. Two days later, a guy called 1100 pounder knocked him in the second place. It was like, 
almost a United States record, 11. Wow. Um, hunting. This is, this is what, okay, that's, that's in Joe's. That's tiger muskies in Joe's. That's my son. That's, that's big. So they're big old fish. That's me with one I call it same day, I think. Um, deer. Shot him with a muzzleloader. Lost He's several big. years ago. Baby. Found a baby. Do you uh, make any deer jerky? Yeah. When I say what what I've done, this is Rocky Mountain sheep. My son killed with a muzzleloader. Wow. Uh, so I'd have never. When I say I never got to experience that area, it's like mounted. Um, Very cool. Uh, turkey's grandson when he was 14. Um, that's my brother with a sailfish. That's my brother on the left. He's a mate. Was the mate. That's my whole family with that same fish I was showing you. That's my daughter. Oh, and at that time, two grandkids. I have a third now. So you have uh, five in total? Huh? Five yeah. in total. There's the fish right after he caught it laying on the deck. He called me when he got to the lighthouse. And and you get to lighthouse area, you're still 13 miles offshore, but you can get cell service there. He said, brother, he said, I got a good one. He said, I'm just praying he's 500 pounds. He's got to be 400 to be legal. And they knew that they knew he was that. And he says, look on the chart. There's a chart that tells you about if a fish length and girth, about how much he weighs. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was 110 inches long from the bottom jaw to the fork of his tail and 60 inch girth. So I look on the chart and I said, brother, it says it'd be 533 pounds, 535 pounds. And it was pound and a half from that or mm. pound and two tenths from that so and it was it was I was sitting there she'll tell you it was I was a miserable wreck waiting on them to get to that scale and start pulling that thing up <laughs> that's one my son killed with a bow okay so we do that's another one he killed with a bow these are this is more recent that first one was old that's my grandson's first one with a bow they so happy cool. Uh, that's just one I just showed you and my son, but he lost, we lost the velvet on it, and that's what it looked with the velvet stripped off. Looks more like a whitetail than a mule deer. That's my grandson's first big one with a bow. That was 2018. Do you do bow hunting as well? That's pretty more? much what we do. Okay. We're hunting right now. I killed this one with the bow. It's the first day of gun season, but I shot him on my bow. Anyway, I've been on buffalo hunts. I've been on, uh, of course, Rocky Mountain sheep, Rocky Mountain goat, the white ones. Um, so things that you can only experience in come here. Mm -hmm. Let's go farther. That desert, you can spend months out there. And you won't see it all. And you can be amazed still every day if you're that kind of person. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you just, you know, go that way, climbing, fishing, hunting, whatever. So this place is amazing. Utah's amazing. 
Well, we appreciate it, Shannon. Okay. We're yeah, going to be back it, probably Thanks tomorrow time. for another shower. Okay. And um, tomorrow. Opening. Oh, are y'all closed tomorrow? I have to go. Okay. 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 I have a doctor's appointment in eight minutes. <laughs> and it's just downtown. No. About knowing me, I'd talk and miss it. Um, okay. I'm getting my eye checked early because of hunting. I think I've lost something in the side. Tomorrow, if you want to, you here tomorrow? Tomorrow, if you want to do the podcast thing, mm -hmm. we'll try it. Sounds Ooh. good. We'll try it. Sounds I'll trust good. you between the two of us. Maybe we can do something. I really enjoyed this talk. Uh, I enjoyed yeah. For sure. Tomorrow. If you, then if you guys want to check it out and make sure you want to be associated with us. For sure. Do, uh, it, it's all family friendly. Yeah. Were you recording him? Yes. He did uh, give us, yeah. Mm -hmm. He did give us uh, permission for that. And uh, if he wants his name not in there, in there, it's his call. We don't need a name in there. Mm -hmm. But at um, the same time, you know. That's cool. It, it's cool. a podcast. That's yeah. awesome, And what's your name? Ariana Downer. Ariana. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very beautiful name. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be back tomorrow. If um, you're open to it too, it'd be awesome to have a women's perspective of, yeah. you know, the community. Do you do any climbing? I do not. Um, however, Kaylee, like... Um, my other half here, uh, she's the one that's like doing the boulder fest. Oh. oh wow! Like I think it's so cool, yeah. and you guys are awesome, and I know I'm not. <laughs> like I, I recognize I cannot climb. <laughs> my child. We appreciate Ariana. We appreciate the time. Yeah. We will. We'll be back tomorrow for, for sure. sure. For sure. Cool. Um, and that wraps up this episode for the most part. Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. Um, for all the for the first episode, I appreciate all the feedback I received from my personal friends and family. Um, it means a lot to me. Um, I think we got to figure out a way on how to get. Maybe if we have general public people listening yet, um, how to get some feedback from them and try to uh, maybe get a feel of what they would like to hear us talk about to a degree uh, within climbing and just kind of our lifestyles, I guess. Absolutely. Thank you for coming with us on this personal journey for Chewy and I of just developing into becoming more of, of who we are and who we want to be. Um, and one of the one of the most impactful things for me about being around rock climbers and just people in general is just the connections that get to get formed by meeting on common ground. So um, if you're interested in following more of my personal journey, um, I have a YouTube channel. If you type in Dave Martinez, Houston rock climber, you'll start to see um, some of my videos popping up on YouTube. Um, as far as the podcast, you can expect to hear um, one from us once a week. This past week we missed it because we were traveling, but that is our intention. Um, thanks. Thanks again, guys.